time remembering my own songs, I had to play them once in a while. It's like, whoa, where's this part go? Good evening. Can you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, verse 1? Romans chapter 16, verse 1. We're going to uh, do verse 16 this evening. We're going to study Romans uh, 16, 16. And we're going to find out that Paul requests that the Romans greet one another with a holy kiss. And also he passes along uh, greetings from the churches he planted from Illyricum to Jerusalem. And so we're going to have uh, we're going to find out what this holy kiss was all about. And uh, so, without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer to prepare ourselves to hear the teaching of the Word of God. That means applying First John one nine if necessary. That restores us to fellowship with God. And remember, we're restored to fellowship based upon who Jesus is and what He did for us at the cross. That's why it's so easy to be restored to fellowship with God. So, in the same way that we've been uh, saved based upon the merits of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, so we're restored to fellowship. Uh, based, upon, based upon the same principle and when we, conf when we confess our sins to the Father. And uh, we maintain that fellowship by bringing our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit and He speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God. So anybody who says that they're filled with the Spirit and yet doesn't know their Bible, that's very hard. You're not going to be able to pull this off. You need to know, that you, the more you know your Bible, the, better, uh, the greater capacity you have to stay in fellowship but be filled with the Holy Spirit because the Spirit speaks to us through the teaching of the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit was given to us and He is in our souls dwelling us permanently and we saw that with the, the, uh, the uh, 14 affirmations of the Holy Spirit we saw in Romans 8. And He's there, uh, so to help, one of the reasons why He's there is, all, is to help us deal with the sin nature that indwells our bodies. But also He's there to give us illumination into the, the teachings of Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't understand uh, what, the, uh, this, what the Word of God says. And so uh, when we're filled with the Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit is influencing us. He's guiding and directing us. And if we don't have knowledge of the Word of God, then He's not going to be able to guide us and direct us uh, properly the way He wants us. Because he, he reveals to us in the teaching of the Word of God what the Father's will is for our life. So the, better, the more you know the Bible, the better off you will be. Because that's the information, the teachings of Christ that the Holy Spirit uses so that we can bring glory to God and we can execute the Father's will. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, don't insult God about uh, thinking about these things or worrying about these things. We go through a lot of things during our day in the cosmic system and uh, we might even be battling with our flesh. We, in fact, we're doing that all the time anyways. But we need to cast all our anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for us. 1 Peter 5.7 teaches that. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for another day, another day to experience and enjoy creation, and also fellowship with you, your Son and the Holy Spirit, and with each other. We thank you for the gift of your Son, his great sacrifice on the cross, and we know that it was a great sacrifice for you to deliver up your Son to sinners so that we might have a relationship and fellowship with you. And we pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit, and we thank you for his, the gift of the Holy Spirit, we pray that the Holy Spirit, through the pages of Scripture, would continue to guide us in doing your will, Father, and also continue to bring to light and, and help us understand more and more each day the great power and love that was directed toward us 
uh, through your Son, Jesus Christ, and His death and resurrection and our union with Him, so that we might in turn become more and more devoted to you and reflect that love that you demonstrated toward us through your Son and the Spirit, reflect that love toward each other and all men. And Father, we pray, Father, for we thank you for those in the uh, audience here and uh, in Titus and Jody's house. We thank you for opening for them for opening up their homes to us and for the word to be taught. And we thank you for those who have ventured in here this evening to hear the word of God. We thank you for each and every one of them and those who are listening on Pal Talk and different parts of this country and the world. We thank you, Father, for them and for those who might be uh, following the teaching and the study of Romans on the website. And we pray that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment this evening. Help them to be active listeners and not passive. Help them to concentrate through the power of the Spirit. They can do so. We know that it's possible. With you, all things are possible. And you give us the power through the Spirit to do these things, to concentrate. Help us to pay attention and get the, to the application that the Spirit will be given to us. And we know that we're all at different stages of spiritual growth. And we know that the Spirit's revealing your will for our lives as a corporate unit but also giving us everything we need as individuals to grow spiritually, Father. And we pray that you would, of course, give grace to the communicator. He cannot teach, we know, without the Spirit. And we pray that the Spirit would empower him to deliver your full counsel to your people so that they would be built up and edified and you and your Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified. And we pray, Father, that everything goes sound technically in this home and with the computers and everything. And we pray that as a result we'd have a great time fellowshipping in your word, continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So it is in his name we pray. Amen. Alright, you should be at Romans chapter 16, verse 1, the final chapter of the book of Romans. We're in the midst of a study of that final chapter. We're going to note this evening, as I noted at the top of the hour, Romans 16, 16, and there's a couple of thoughts that Paul uh, presents to us in these verses. First of all, he commands the Roman believers to greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he also tells them that all the churches send their greetings to the Roman, uh, to the Roman church. So we're going to find out why he did that, why he sends, the, he sends these greetings to the churches he planted from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Why did he do that? Why did he send, pass along his greetings to the Roman church from these other Gentile churches? So this is our subject here this evening. Look at Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Paul says, I commend to you, or I introduce to you, our sister Phoebe, she's the one who delivered this epistle, who was a servant of the church, which is at Sencrea. That was about seven miles east of Corinth. That was a seaport town for Corinth. And then here's the content of why he introduced Phoebe to them, the Roman believers. He said that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many, and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So they were two Jewish individuals, as we saw on Sunday. They were a couple, a Jewish couple. They knew Paul. They were tent makers. So that's how they ran it. They, they ran into Paul with, at Corinth, and they, they served with Paul in Ephesus. They actually gave instruction to Apollos, one of the great communicators in the first century. So they knew their doctrine. They knew the Word of God. They knew the mystery doctrine from the church age because they learned it from the Apostle Paul themselves. So they're the first great, uh, great couple that we see mentioned by Paul here. And there are several couples here. But look at verse 5. He says, Also, greet the church that is in their house. As we noted, the first century church, they met in homes, not in big cathedrals or big 
buildings and edifices that we now see in the 21st century. Then he says, Greet Ipinetus, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius. Junius should actually be in this uh, Junia. It's actually a female that he's talking about. My kinsmen, that means they were Jewish Christians. And my fellow prisoners, who were outstanding among the apostles, that means that they were well known, their uh, courageous acts, uh, their suffering imprisonment with Paul. So they were well known to the other apostles, is what that phrase is saying. Who were also, he says, in Christ before me. That, that means they were saved before Paul was saved. And Paul, he got saved a few years after the resurrection of Christ. But we see that they must have, these individuals must have been saved within, within probably a year of the resurrection, maybe right after the resurrection. Maybe they were the individuals who believed when Peter made, presented his evangelistic message recorded in Acts chapter 2. And 3,000 Jews got saved. So they were Hellenistic Jews, as we know. That means that they didn't speak the mother tongue, Hebrew or Aramaic. They were Greek-speaking Jews, and that's because of the diaspora. They were dispersed, the Jews, uh, uh, throughout the Roman Empire. And Greek uh, and was the, actually, even though the Rome spoke Latin in its government, Greek in the Roman Empire in the first century was the, Koine Greek, was the predominant language in the world at that time. Then he says in verse 8, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. That, as we saw on Sunday, means that he was battle-tested. He went through adversity, a spiritual conflict, and he came out uh, approved. That means he was battle-tested. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Uh, Aristobulus is not mentioned himself. That indicates the man was either dead or he was an unbeliever. But we know the household of Aristobulus means everybody connected to that individual. And many scholars, and I believe so as well, believe that Aristobulus was the great was the grandson of Herod the Great. So it doesn't mean Aristobulus was saved. It does mean his household was. And that means slaves. That when he says household of Aristobulus, he's not talking about not just the kinsmen of Herod, but actually his slaves. And then it goes on to say, in verse 11, Greet Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet those of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. So there's another household, another group of slaves. This time they're connected with the house of Narcissus. And then we say, see in verse 12, a couple of women are mentioned. Uh, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, another woman, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So Rufus' mother uh, demonstrated great hospitality to the Apostle Paul, so much so that Paul actually uh, had said that she treated, Rufus' mother treated him like she, uh, he was her own son. Then he says in verse 14, Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brethren with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. And those, that last two ver those last two verses are house churches. They, these individuals were all, uh, more than likely had formed house churches 
as well. So the early first century is as the it's kind of uh, I don't think it's any I don't believe in any uh, what do they call that accidents or uh, uh, things that happen. I think it's kind of funny that it's the Holy Spirit's sense of humor that here we are in the home of Titus and Jody Thompson and and we're talking about house churches here in Romans 16. Who would have thunk it? Then we have verse 16, he said, which is our verse this evening. He says, "Greet one another with a holy kiss." All the churches of Christ greet you. So there's two different thoughts in verse 16. Now when he says greet, the word there greet is that word aspezoma, and that means, it does not mean to give my regards here this time, because Paul's not using the word here as he did in verses 3 through 15, with respect to himself greeting individuals he knew in Rome. So in verses 3 through 15, when he uses this word greet, it actually means please give my regards. However, he's not using it this way in verse 16. Rather, in verse 16, this word, espasima, means to greet, since he is simply greet. That, that, the way it's translated in the New American Standard is the proper way to do it. Greet here, it means that because Paul's commanding the Romans and those whom he sends his regards to in verses 3 through 15 to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, when he says the phrase, one another, that's the word, alilon. And alilon is very important in the New Testament. It was very important in Paul's writings because it was always used in connection to the one another commands. We've done studies this in the past about these one another commands in the New Testament. And these one another commands reflect the fact that we're to love one another, that we're to have care for one another, that we're to be, it denotes fellowship. So this phrase, one another, is used with reference to the relationship between the Roman believers and those whom Paul sends greetings to and verses three through fifteen. So this is this word's to emphasizing Christian fellowship that's expressed here with this holy kiss, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. Now, what is Christian fellowship? <clears throat> Christian fellowship is not most Christians do not know what Christian fellowship is all about. Many of them think it's uh, having a, a potluck dinner and that's the end of it. No, Christian fellowship. If you look at the words connected to fellowship, the word uh, uh, kinonia is used quite a bit. And it's, and it's cognates. And these words have present certain concepts. And there are other words. Uh, metokos is another word. These different words that are related to Christian fellowship denote four concepts. One, a relationship. That means that we all as Christians, regardless of denominational background, if we believe in Christ, we all share a common relationship with each other. We're all related not by blood, but by spiritual birth, which is stronger than blood. Because the sin nature will be removed from this earth one day, and we'll have resurrection bodies. And we also see that Christian fellowship involves partnership. Anytime you serve in a ministry, give your time, talent, and treasure, and in, in also pray for a ministry, you are entering into that teaching ministry. And that means you're partners. The Philippians were called joint partners with Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, because they were supported Paul. They gave money to support Paul so he could make a living from the gospel. And they provided for him. So they entered into Paul's ministry, and Paul says, you're joint partners with me. And then there's companionship. The companionship aspect of Christian fellowship, where we share the things of Christ. That means we talk about the Bible. We talk about the things of Christ. A lot of Christians think they're having fellowship, and they think it's because they're sharing the box score and the baseball scores or talking about sports. And there's nothing wrong with talking about sports. 
among believers. However, Christian fellowship, true Christian fellowship, is talking about the things of Christ, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the th that your things you're learning, like in the book of Romans, when we discuss what we're learning in the book of Romans. So these are all at reflections of, of Christian fellowship. And companionship act the companionship aspect of Christian fellowship means that we have to communicate with one another. We have to talk to each other. We can't be a, one man is a man is not an island. We were member we're made members of the body of Christ, and so they, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve, the hand cannot say to the eye, I have no need of you. That means no believer can say, I don't need other believers. You can't say that I am a rock, I am an island like Simon and Garfunkel. That is not what Christianity is about. And you cannot use the doctrine of privacy as an excuse or justification for not communicating with other believers. And so, if you are a person that is very shy, if you have the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the more you grow, you will have discernment, you will end up getting the capacity to have relationships and communicate with other individuals in the body of Christ as, as you grow spiritually. And then there's the stewardship aspect of Christian fellowship, where you hear me say, giving of your time, talent, and treasure, and uh, your, uh, your uh, truth. And uh, the, the man who actually came up, no, not many Christians realize they hear a lot of pastors talk about this, but I like to give the guy credit who came up with the whole thing, was J. Hampton Keithley III, whose teachings you can download at uh, www.bible.org. And his, he's dead now, he died a couple of years ago. He was up in North Dakota, he taught, I think, or South Dakota, one of, those, one of the Dakotas. And his son, J. Hampton Keithley IV, is still around. He's a great Bible teacher as well. But J. Hampton Keithley III, who has now gone home to be with the Lord, he's the one who came up with this whole idea of uh, time, talent, and treasure, and the whole fourfold aspect of Christian fellowship. And stewardship, that involves, Keithley says, that, that involves giving of your time, your talent, that means your spiritual gift, and your treasure, your finances, and also truth. All these things God has given to us, everything that we have is, a, is, is given to us by God as trust. So we're stewards of the body we gave, God has given us. We're stewards of the time God gave us. The, we're stewards of the truth that God gave us in the Word of God. We're stewards of all these things that we have. Everything that we have has been given to us by God. What are we doing to advance the kingdom of God with these talents? Uh, these, this time, talent, and treasure, and truth. Or are we, we burying it in the sand? And uh, then, therefore, if we're that way, then we will not get rewards. See, the Bema Seed, as we studied in Romans, uh, I believe it was in Romans chapter 14, was, is all about you given, being called into account for your stewardship of your time, talent, and treasure. Your sins are never brought up because they were crucified at the cross, just like sins of the unbeliever uh, are never brought up at the great white throne judgment. His works are, not his sins. Why? The cross paid for those things. Thus, thus the, the, uh, the arrogance of, of anybody trying to br bring up somebody's past and the sins they've committed. Because that's what the devil does. That's what he does. God is, as far as the east is from the west, he remembers our sins no more. He doesn't remember our sins anymore because they were crucified at the cross. So stewardship, that the Bema seat, we're going to give an account for what we did with these things. Our time. What do we do with our time? Our talent, spiritual gift, our treasure, and our truth. What do we do with these things? That's what the Bema seat is all about. 
Now let's go back to right back to the one another phrase in Romans 16, verse 16, because you're probably saying you're digressing, Bill. Yeah, I'm digressing because I'm teaching you what this one another expression is referring to. It's talking about Christian fellowship, and I've just developed for you briefly, in summary form, what Christian fellowship is about. So he says in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. That phrase, one another, is talking about Christian fellowship. And right now, and used in this phrase, it talks about the companionship aspect of Christian fellowship. So this phrase, one another, alone in the New Testament, it denotes a mutual exchange between these two groups and that they were to greet each other with a holy kiss. It denotes that they were to welcome each other into their fellowship. Now, this exchange between the Roman believers, between each other, is the proper, appropriate, obligatory response by them to each other since both groups, since all Christians, were created by God according to His image, redeemed at the cross, justified through faith alone and Christ alone, and fellow members of the body of Christ. We are all on equal footing. None of us has any merit with one another at all with God. We are all sinners before a holy God. And the only reason why we're in the body of Christ and are going to live with forever with God is because of who Jesus is. We are saved and blessed based upon His merits and His merits alone. We, that's, a humble, that's humbling for arrogant sinners, which we all are. So we're saved by grace. And so therefore, we're obligated to greet one another. Now, as we'll see, the holy kiss, we don't do that in our, here in America, in the Western civilization. And as I'll show you, it's, it talks about, it could be a handshake or a hug. And we're, this, is, uh, this exchange between Christians, greeting one another, hugging or handshake or whatnot, that is all, uh, we're obliged to do that to each other because we're in the same family. We're to, as you've done it unto the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. So as you greet another Christian, of course, you're basically demonstrating you're greeting Jesus Christ because that's exactly, as you treat, as you treat another Christian is how you treat Jesus Christ. He's the head and we're the body. So this mutual exchange between the Roman believers as they greet one another with a holy kiss is the result of experiencing fellowship with God by operating in God's love, and it's an expression of that love. So when we have a, a Christian hand, we have a handshake, or we give a hug to one another and greet one another, uh, that is actually an expression of God's love, or it should be. It shouldn't be hypocrisy. Remember, this is we study this. It says in he, in Romans chapter twelve, we're not do to love without hypocrisy. Look at Romans chapter hold your place. Look at Romans chapter twelve. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9. And it's interesting, Paul's statements in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 16, is actually connected to what he says, greet one another with a holy kiss in Romans 16, 16. Because the things he says in Romans 12, verses 9 through 16, are, are, are actually 
how you can uh, how you greet uh, talk about Christians greeting one another how they relate to one another how they have fellowship with one another so when Paul says greet one another with a holy kiss that's the result of when they do that that's the result of experiencing fellowship with God by operating in God's love it's an expression of God's love and we got to remember that, that this is not hypocrisy because some Christians could pretend that they love you and hug you even I've known Christians who will hug you and in the, they'll stab you in the back. No different than uh, unbelievers because we all have a sin nature. You need to have discernment because that is where a lot of people are in this world that are influenced by the devil. But look at Paul says in Romans 12, 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. So when the Roman believers greeted one another with a holy kiss, it wasn't to be hypocrisy. It was to be sincere. They weren't to give them a, a hug, a holy kiss, and then meanwhile... Behind their back, they're stabbing them and character assassinating them. That is not greeting one another with a holy kiss. That's hypocrisy. And we're to avoid that. It says, abhor what is evil, cling to, one, to what is good. Be devoted to one another. And brotherly love. Brotherly love talks about affection for each other. Romans 6, 6, 16, 16, if the Roman believers greet one another with a holy kiss, that's an expression of being devoted to one another in brotherly love. See, I'm showing you the connection. Give preference to one another and honor. They would be honoring one another as they greet one another with a holy kiss. Not lagging behind in diligence, he says. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Identify with them. Be of the same mind toward one another. If they are, they will greet one another with a holy kiss. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. For those who are not, uh, don't have status in society. They might be poor. They might not have a great status in society. They might be at poverty level. They might not dress like you dress. And you have to treat them with respect just like you would a believer who has what is well to do and has is, is got a lot of money. You have to treat them both the same, not to show favoritism to the rich. So, if they are same mind to one another, they will greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, don't miss this. It, the both, And I brought this up, and we saw in Romans 16, there were slaves with slave masters. They sat and worshipped Jesus Christ together, so they were to greet one another with a holy kiss, the slave and the slave master. At these, as they, as they, in the body of Christ, they were to do that. So they to be of same mind toward one another. If they are, they will be able to greet one another with a holy kiss. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, and do not be wise in your own estimation. Now go back to Romans chapter 16, verse 16. Romans chapter 16, verse 16, Paul says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. With a holy kiss was reserved, that means that this kiss was reserved exclusively for Christians in the first century as an expression of greeting, affection, appreciation for the person, intimate fellowship between them, and it was an expression of unity. God is for unity. But don't miss this. You don't have Christian unity by compromising doctrine. 
You don't Christian. You don't have unity by compromise, compromising the Word of God. A lot of Christians they do things for the sake of unity, but they forsake the Word of God, and that is not what Jesus Christ wants. Because the Word of God is His mind and thinking. You are to have unity as you practice the Word of God. As you practice the Word of God and love one another, that's how you have unity. Jesus, His teaching and the teaching of the Bible could be summed up in this. Love one another as I have loved you. Love, one, love your neighbor as yourself. Love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the Scriptures. That sums up the Word of God. So if we're saying we have a unity and we're stabbing other Christians in the back or criticizing or gossiping about them, how is that unity? How is, if, we're, if we have a thing and we have a, uh, we're, we're criticizing another church or we're going after another church and gossiping about a pastor or a deacon in another church or just a believer in another church or in our own church, how is that practicing the Word of God? That's not love. We don't want to be gossiped about, so why would we want to gossip about another person or attack another person? So we don't compromise the Word of God. We don't uh, compromise the Word of God and have unity. That's baloney. We have unity by practicing the Word of God, which can be summed up in this, loving one another. Loving God with all our entire being and loving each, uh, loving each other as ourselves. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. So, in West, when he says a holy kiss here, and this is where you have to go back and study the Bible in its historical context. Because in, other part, in, in Western civilization, if I was to go up to a certain guy and give him a kiss on the cheek, like if, if I went over to a, a Keaton and slapped a kiss on him, I'd be, you know, his wife would look at me kind of funny. If I give him a kiss on the cheek, she'd say, because in our culture, guys just don't do that. I mean, I kiss my father, you know, I kiss my brothers and stuff, but that's a different thing. But and men don't do that. With you. They give a hug or they give a, or they give a handshake. And, uh, but that is how we would look at this holy kiss today. Well, in other parts of the world, they kiss each other on the cheek. In the Middle East, it still happens. The Arabs do this. The Jews do this. The, another, and the French do this. People in other parts of the world, they do this sort of thing. But people in Western civilization in the 21st century here in America, we don't do that. We don't, most churches, we, I don't know of too many churches, the guys are kissing each other on the cheek. So this holy kiss is uh, in the 21st century here in, in, in America would be equivalent to a handshake or a hug. And the, the adjective holy there, uh, that word, hios is the word, indicates that this kiss is reserved exclusively for Christians. It's a signature of the Christian. It's a mark of a Christian in the first century. Holy gives it that Christian flavor. It means it's reserved for Christians. So this, re this request here that Paul has at the end of, his, uh, at the, end of uh, the Roman epistle appears in his letters in other places. And Peter uses this the holy, kiss, holy kiss expression in his writings. Uh, let me read you from the Net Bible a couple of quotations in the Scriptures in the New Testament where this term with a holy kiss Greeting one another with a holy kiss is mentioned. In 1 Corinthians 16.20, uh, Paul says, All the brothers and sisters send greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. In 2 Corinthians 13.12, he says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. 1 Thessalonians 5.26, Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. And then Peter, he says, in 1 Peter 5.14, Greet one another with a with a loving kiss. Peace, peace to all of you who are in Christ. So Peter uses it, and Paul uses it, and it was basically, an ex when he did this, he's saying, I want you to show, show love and affection to each other. 
Now, we studied this in Romans 12. You know, you hear about God's love is impersonal, unconditional. It's deeper than that. I've studied this in the past. We've studied this in the past. God's love has many characteristics. Uh, one of the one of which is self-sacrificial. But God's love is also affectionate. There's affection between when you are operating in the love of God, you will have affection for your brothers and sisters in Christ. However, let's say let's take take a little example. What if our one of our brothers and sisters in Christ, it might even be me, has become repulsive to you or obnoxious to you? Of course, you're not going to have a love and affection for that person. You're going to have to revert to that impersonal, unconditional love. Uh, you're loving them as God and Christ has loved you. So there might not be a personal contact with them. Uh, let's say, for instance, somebody is uh, being disciplined by God, and they let's say they're a they're a uh, they're an alcoholic and they are they they've been kicked out of the fellowship of the church until they repent and and quit the alcoholism and so you would not or they are they're uh, fornicating they're having a, an adulterous affair and you you to discipline them and then and if they don't repent of that sin that you're to kick them out of the church at that point there's no personal love and affection there's not going to be because they're under discipline if they repent if they repent and quit stop what they're doing then you let them back into fellowship, as Paul says to the Corinthians in Second 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 Corinthians chapter two, and you let them back in. Now you can be affectionate toward them. In fact, you're not to mention uh, their their sin in the past ever again. You're to move on. You're to forgive and release them of those sins. It's like God has released you and I from our sins. So now we're going back to that personal love and affection because they're no longer under discipline. So this is we this is where you have to have discernment. God wants us to have discernment. And, and, and so there are some Christians that we don't want to, we're not going to be love and affectionate with, and then there are others, of course, that are in fellowship with God, obedient to God, we're going to be per, have that personal love and affection. And this should be, this, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, a lot of times Christians, they get this, um, they put on this, uh, they talk about impersonal, unconditional love. Well, it, it's deeper than that. There's going to be expressions of personal love and affection for another Christian. It's, it, that's what God wants. This is how Jesus was with his apostles, the, the, the disciples. Hey, it says that John was laying on, putting his head on the breast of Jesus. There was an affection between the apostle John and Jesus. And that's exactly what he did. He laid his head. It's what it says in the Greek. He laid his head. I know some guys, are the tough guys say, well, he didn't do that. Oh, he did do that, it says. And he put it, why? Because Jesus and John were tight. They were tight. There was great affection for them that Jesus had for John and vice versa. And all the apostles had affection for Jesus and Jesus had affection for them. There was a certain level of intimacy. We, uh, and, uh, for instance, Peter, James, and John, out of the twelve, they were closest to Jesus. Why? Because they put more, more of their, their effort into the relationship with Jesus. And then there was John, who never abandoned Jesus. He, Jesus, let, uh, gave, uh, Jesus gave his mother to John to take care of. So there was a personal love and affection, a bond between Jesus. So, uh, uh, so for instance, uh, well, are we going to have this love and affection with Jesus? Absolutely. But I also need, you need to understand with Jesus that he is holy and there's going to be a certain amount of time that we're going to be with, when we're with Jesus in eternity that there's, he's holy. There's a certain thing that he's the transcendent God, but there are going to be times where we're going to be able to express our love and affection for him. 
And I don't know how that's gonna, what that's going to be like. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of, um, there's no tears in heaven, but I don't know, maybe there will be. I don't, but we see that this, this affection is something that should be around, there should be a mark of Christianity. It should, the Christians should have this ex- love and affection for each other. So this holy kiss that Paul's mentioning here in Romans 16, 16 was an expression of fe- affection between believers. Is not that some people are more affectionate than others. So, you know, for instance, in my my own family, my mother and father, my brothers and sisters, my nieces and nephew, there's great affection because my parents were very affectionate. And some of you might come from parents that aren't very affectionate. And so, to be affectionate is difficult, and that's all right. As you grow in the Word of God, you will develop this capacity to be affectionate. That we weren't taught it in the home. And uh, I, I was fortunate that I was taught this in the home. So, in Romans 12.10, remember, uh, Paul commands the Roman believers to continue making it their habit to be affectionate with one another. Let me read you my translation of that verse. We read it not too long ago. Uh, in my translation of Romans 12.10, Paul says, "...concerning affection among spiritual brothers and sisters..." All of you must continue to make it your habit to be affectionate with one another. Now, this affection, people, is produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer who obeys the command to love his fellow believers Christ has loved him. So you can't work this up. Don't try to work it up. For instance, if you don't have a love and affection for, for another believer, don't try to work it up and be phony. That's hypocrisy. You will have God's going to have to produce that in you. It's not something God wants you to produce. See, your sin nature can fake you out. The sin nature will say, "Well, you, for instance, if you naturally say, I don't really have an affection for this believer,' and let's say they're, you know, they're part of the fellowship, they're not doing anything that's wrong or out of line, and but you just don't have an affection for them. Well, that's something you can't just say, "Well, geez, now I want to be affectionate with them." The Word of God says I have to be affectionate with them, and your heart is not really into being what, doing what the Word of God says. So this is something that there, there are different areas that we have that we have a difficulty in the Word of God. And, but God, God gives us room for growth. So the, the, over time, as you learn God's Word, the Spirit will start transforming your character and you will find yourself being affectionate when you are naturally not an affectionate person. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is doing this work in your life. It doesn't happen overnight. It might happen for it take years to do because we have a lot of garbage that we all have in our lives, including yours truly, that God has to weed out. We're all at different stages of spiritual growth, but it's something that the Spirit does. It's not something that we do in our flesh because then that's hypocrisy and that will end up backfiring in the, in the end. So when we obey the command to love one another as Christ has loved us, that, if we do that, that's the Spirit inspired that. And when we obey that command, the Holy Spirit will produce this love and affection in our lives. Uh, hold your place. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 13. John 13. John's Gospel, chapter 13, and look at verse 34. John 13, 34. Now, think about this. Is there love, is there a lot of affection between the members of the Trinity? Oh, yeah. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit love each other with an affection that we can't comprehend. 
And that love is what God they have toward us. When we operate in our sin nature, they don't like that, obviously. They see the Spirit and Christ in us. So when they're actually showing love and affection toward us, it's because they see each other in us. Think about that. When God, when the Trinity has affection for each other, when they have affection toward us, it's not because of who we are. It's because they see themselves in us. That's what they see. We're just vessels that they're using. So, John 13, 34 says, A new commandment, not a new in time, but new in quality and character, I give to you, that you love one another. He, how did he love them? He sacrificed for them. He gave up his life for them. And that's what he's about to do when he's going that, that next day. He's going to the cross. He taught them the word of God. He was he was uh, did everything. He taught them the word of God. He prayed for them. He was uh, he forgave them. He tolerated them. Think about what Jesus had to deal with, with the apostles. These guys weren't. I mean, these guys. Some of them were uh, fishermen, and you know, fishermen. If you ever been around a fisherman, they're cursing and swearing all the time. I mean, Peter was no different than the other fishermen, and he's the great apostle Peter. How many times Jesus had to listen to that? And listen to Peter and his impetuousness and putting up with Peter and James and John and their competition between all of them. I mean, I mean, talk about the, uh, the twelve stooges. I mean, Jesus had to deal with all... Did he love them? Yes. Did he disown them when they screwed up? No. He put up with them. He tolerated them. Because he's love. And that love he wants us to reflect in our own lives. So, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Did Jesus have affection for them? Yes. And so, when we obey this command, and the Romans obeyed this command, they would greet one another with the holy kiss. They would have affection with one another. They would have this affection. The Spirit would produce, that, produce it in their lives. And when they did this, when they greeted one another with a holy kiss... By doing that, all men would know that they're disciples. Boy, that sure, they, those Christians sure do love each other. And what it just and what it says in verse thirty-five: If by this loving one another as Christ has loved us, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, what a great, terrible, what a terrible testimony it is when Christians are sitting there criticizing each other and gossiping about each other and beating each other up and backstabbing each other. I mean, and not forgiving each other. Oh my gosh! Do you think the world's really impressed with Christians? I think, I think the world thinks we're disgusting hypocrites. We talk about love, but do we practice the love? Do we forgive each other? Well, if they greet one another with a holy kiss, they would demonstrate to the whole world that they are disciples of Jesus Christ. Because by doing this, greeting one another with a holy kiss, that's demonstrating that they love one another as Christ has loved them. Now look at Romans 16, 16. He says... And go back there when you get a chance. Romans 16, 16. Romans 16, 16, Paul says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. And then he says, All the churches of Christ greet you. When he says, All the churches of Christ, that refers to each and every one of the local Christian assemblies which Paul established among the Gentiles in the Roman Empire and were owned by the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says all the churches of Christ, of Christ means that the churches are owned by Jesus. Jesus owns us. He purchased us with his blood at the cross. He is our judge. He's our evaluator of our works, our lives. Not other Christians. 
He's the evaluator of every pastor's ministry, every evangelist's ministry, and every apostle's ministry. Because He owns the church. He owns every single one of us. We are accountable to Him. We are His property. We are slaves of His. We used to be slaves of the sin nature in the devil's world, but now, through faith in Christ, we are now His slaves. Now when He says Greek, that word again is espazoma, and that means to here to give their regards, and is used this time with each and every one of the churches that Paul planted among the Gentiles, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, as its subject. When he says you... It, that it can be translated in a distributive sense. What do I mean by that? He's saying all the churches, all the churches, greet or give their regards to each and every one of you. He's this word "you" is saying I'm not leaving anybody out. There are no exceptions. All the churches that I planted from Jerusalem to Illyricum, giving are giving their regards to you, Roman believers. Now, Paul he passes along this greeting to the Romans from the churches he planted because. He wants the Roman believers to understand something. That they're not alone. And that the churches that he planted were identifying with them and regarded them as worthy of great respect. One of the great things that you know, what I'm dealing with right now in, uh, in, in this little church that we have, there are a lot of, it's great because all these churches, all these people in my, in my past, in the ministry, that are following along the teaching on Pal Talk, people, other pastors that I've talked to, have been giving their support as we've gone through this difficult time. They're identifying with us. They're saying, you're not alone, Bill. You're not alone, Titus. You're not alone, Keaton and Ashley. You're not alone, Bill and Crystal, Tim and Marie. You guys are not alone. We're with you. And that's one of the reasons why Paul says, all of the churches greet each and every one of you, Roman believers. Because he wants the Roman believers to know that they are, that they are being thought of and prayed for. And that they are considered as having worthy of great respect. Now, this uh, when he says, all the churches greet you, it emphasizes with his read, Paul's readers in Rome that the churches that he planted from Jerusalem to Illyricum regarded the Roman believers as extremely important. And also, the other reason why he mentions this, the other reason why he says all the churches greet you, he wants to build unity between the Roman church and the ones he planted. He's trying to build a network. Hey, there's a there's there's, there's some people that I, I was talking to this guy down in uh, in Wichita, Kansas, and he says he's got a group of believers that would love love to hear the word of God. So I'm saying, you know, hey, go on to the website, listen to the website, listen to the teaching, and, and and join the fellowship. And you know, there's other other people in other parts of the country that are like our pal talk people, and they're part of our fellowship as well, even though they're miles and miles apart from us. They're here with us in spirit and we're having fellowship with each other. So Paul, in this passage, as we close, wants to build unity between the Roman church and the ones he planted. He wants to connect them together. He wants to make the Roman believers feel that they belong to something that's bigger than themselves. And it's the truth. We all belong to something bigger than ourselves. Hey, look at the website. When we go to the, um, you go on the internet. It's amazing. I think I was talking to you guys about that. On the internet. I can't, you know, you can't believe how many churches there are that teach the way we do. There are a lot of guys that teach verse by verse. There are a lot of guys that go do the different books of the Bible. And there's some that do topical studies. But there are a lot of people that are very serious in the Word of God. They're into the Word of God. The Jim Ricards, the Bob McLaughlin's, the Joe Griffin, the, the, uh, the uh, Chuck Swindolls, uh, David Jeremiah's, all these, all these 
Jay Hampton Keithley's, the people out of Dallas, the people out of Schaefer, uh, the, all these people in, 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 uh, in uh, Trinity College and, and Westminster. There's a tons of guys. You go on the, on the web, on the internet, and you realize that you're not alone. That Christianity is much bigger than your little world that you live in. It's much broader, and that's one of the great things about the internet. It makes us feel connected as Christians as well, and that you're not alone. And some of the some of the greatest friends I have, Christian friends I have, I haven't even met yet. <laughs> I mean, I haven't met them face to face, but I've known them through emails and whatnot, or pounce on, and they, I don't even, I have never touched some of them, ever. I've never been able to greet them with a holy kiss. But anyways, uh, this is what Paul's doing as we close here. Paul wants the Roman believers to feel connected to uh, the other churches. He's trying to build Unity. Well, we run out of time. We'll pick this up tomorrow. Let's, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit would challenge us with the things that we've heard, guide us, instruct us in applying what we've learned here this evening. We pray that you would bless the fellowship after, that it would be empowered by the Spirit, and also give us traveling mercies on the way home for those in the chat, here in Titus and Jody's home. And we thank you for the fact that they've opened up their home to us again this evening. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.